The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. The one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Buenos días. La lectura de hoy viene del libro de Santiago, capítulo 1, versículos del 9 al 12. El hermano de condición humilde debe sentirse orgulloso de su alta dignidad y el rico de su humilde condición. El rico pasará como la flor del campo. El sol cuando sale seca la planta con su calor abrasador. A este se le cae la flor y pierde su belleza. Así se marchitará también el rico en todas sus empresas. Dichoso el que resista la tentación porque al salir aprobado recibirá la corona de la vida que Dios ha prometido a quienes lo aman. Thank you, Jessica and Daniel. We're going to continue today in our series, this teaching series that we kicked off last week, Friendship in the Margins, and this is part of our church's aspiration, prayer, uh, to grow as an economically mixed community, uh, which means, of course, uh, being a community that doesn't just share resources, but rather that shares relationship across all walks of life. Uh, not just a community that's committed to serving, though we will do that, uh, but also celebrating the presence of God uh, amongst those who have much and those who have little, but all of whom have Christ. Uh, so let's consider this passage uh, from James 1, but let me pause and pray first as we begin. God, we pray that you would come and, and help us to hear what you want us to hear. Help us to hear your voice, your comfort, your challenge, whatever we need. Help us to have open hearts, Help us not to edit what you want us to hear. Help us to hand over your right to tell us what we need to hear. Give us life. Give us more of Jesus. Give us your spirit. Make this time a life-giving joy and a health-giving challenge. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, Target got hacked. You might remember, a uh, couple bad guys broke into their computers, uh, stole everyone's personal info, credit card numbers, ATM passwords. Everyone was going ballistic, right? You know, of course, I was trying to take the high road, you know, sort of shrug my shoulders, say, you know, we're going to be all right. You know, it's all right. Uh, people make mistakes. You know, things like this happen. As long as you... You know, maybe furnish us with a couple gift cards or, you know, a lifetime supply of uh, Oreos or something. I don't know. Right? The high road, right? But there was a lot of panic and the global economy almost blew up. It reminded us 
just how scared we are of incidents like these in these days of what's often described as identity theft. Identity theft. We're all afraid. We're all afraid of someone using our name or who we are, posing as us, and making use of our resources, taking our identity. We're all afraid. And I often poke fun at Paula, my wife, because of the ways in which uh, she gets kind of quirky when it comes to sort of protecting uh, her uh, sort of identity features here. For instance, social security number, as you know, uh, you know, all of us have in some way or another uh, these the social security numbers that are used uh, to do a whole number of different financial transactions or uh, purchases or uh, just have a presence in this society. And uh, it's a nine-digit number, of course, and if you lose it, someone someone steals it, you're in big trouble. And I remember one time, and I continued to make fun of her for it, uh, I was on the phone with her, and she was in an office that she was working at, a design firm, and I said to Paula, hey, you know, I need your social security number, can you give it to me? And then she paused. And I could almost see her on the other line, sort of, you know, you know look, looking around to see who was around, and, and then she proceeded to... Uh, you know, it's a three-digit plus two-digit plus four-digit type of number. And then I heard her say, uh, uh, I'll make the number up. One, uh, two, three, four, uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I mean, literally, this is how she told it to me over the phone, as if she was going to juke out the person, right, that's listening and scribbling down her Social Security number as fast as they could. Uh, we have all kinds of strategies to try to save ourselves from this thing called... Identity theft. You realize this passage we're looking at is all about identity theft. Identity theft. You say, how is that? It's because James is telling his readers, telling us, that if you're not careful, something's going to steal your identity. And it's your economic status. If you're not careful, something's going to steal your identity and it's how much you've got or what you own or the stuff you have or the stuff you wish you had. And he says it to a wide range of people. You see here, of course, he addresses the brother in humble circumstances. can also be translated the poor, the lowly. Sometimes the word is used in the Bible of someone who's of... of uh, socially little significance in the eyes of the world. And maybe that's you here today. You're working hard, but you're still not sure if the lights are going to stay on at home in the next month. Uh, where you look around and you see that the neighborhood's changing, all these nice buildings and restaurants coming in, but you're wondering why it feels like things are getting better for everyone else but you. Or you're grateful for government programs like SNAP, but you know if you could, you really would rather take care of yourself and your family by yourself. Maybe that refers to you. The passage also speaks to the one who is rich. People that have relative resources. Washington, D.C. has and attracts a lot of people with a lot of resources. But not only just financial wealth, but also a kind of social status that comes with a different kind of wealth, a wealth of education. 
It's a different kind of power and status, even if you might not be earning quite as much as you might be able to, which brings up a wealth of opportunities and choices that you might have, a wealth of relational networks. James is talking to this wide range of folks, which I think covers everyone here in this room and everyone in between. And he says two things, and this will be our outline. He says, don't live according to a false identity, and then live according to your true identity. Don't live according to a false identity. Live according to your true identity in Christ. Can we look at each of those quickly? We're going to have Q&A afterwards, so you can jot down some notes and raise some questions, and we'll learn and figure this out together. First, don't live according to a false identity. One of the key words in this passage is this word, this Greek word that's translated here, take pride in. It's there in verse 9 and 10. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who's rich should take pride in his low position. That word can also be translated boast or rejoice in or glory in or put confidence in. In the New Testament, it's a word that very often is used to describe our personal identity. I mean, if you consider questions like this, what is it really, really, truly that gives you the greatest joy? Uh, What lets you puff up your chest with confidence, especially when the going gets rough? It's your identity. Uh, What gives you a sense of dignity? What makes you, you? This is what James is talking about when he's asking questions about what it is that we take pride in. And this is what James is telling us, first of all, that we tend to take pride in our outward circumstances. That we tend to base our identity on our wealth. We draw our sense of personal significance, our sense of meaning from what we have or what we don't have. Where we're telling ourselves, really, if I lost this thing, then I wouldn't be me. Or if only I could get that, then finally I would have the version of me that I truly want. We are materialists at our core. Our stuff, our possessions define us. We draw our identity far too much from the things we have. I remember when I was younger, One of my great aspirations, this is around middle school when I was playing basketball, uh, was one day to finally get a pair of brand name shoes. You know, up to that point, uh, my mom trying to save a couple bucks here and there, uh, giving me more generic pairs of shoes and looking out at my friends, uh, was excited to one day, even envious of the possibility of getting a pair of Nikes. And one day it finally happened. Took a trip to Korea uh, together with my family. Went out there and cousins took me on a short shopping trip and got them. I remember these shoes. They were white and the little Nike logo was hot pink. Because these were Andre Agassi tennis shoes. So of course they had to be hot pink, right? 
I was so proud of them. Didn't even play tennis. I don't care, right? Shoe looked good. Most of all, it had the Nike swoosh on it. Was so proud of it. I felt like I had arrived. Until I found out they were knockoffs, right? <laughs> Until I found out they were fake, uh, as they tended to be in that part of town where we bought them. But I noticed the way in which, even as a young kid, how much I was allowing myself to be defined by this thing that I so badly wanted to own. And I realized the desire and the identity thing hasn't changed, it's just transferred. Even yesterday, spending a little time in the backyard, wonderful day, hope you got to enjoy it, but found so much joy and pleasure in my new garden hose, right? I mean, just this 150 foot long garden hose that I had just gotten at Home Depot, which somehow, in a funny way, made me feel like finally I was a man, right? <laughs> finally, I have my own hose. And I think some of it was because growing up, my dad would always be in the backyard watering the plants and vegetables and all these things, and so that's just sort of locked in my mind. Somehow my significance, my standing in this world being wrapped up in a thing, a possession, what I have or what I don't have. I hear people talking about one day maybe becoming a quote-unquote real adult when they make certain bigger purchases, aspiring to own a home or buy a car or something. The way in which we tend to evaluate ourselves and who we are in sometimes even crassly economic terms. How do you do that? How do I do that? It's worth considering how much do we evaluate ourselves in economic terms. The test, of course, is this. If it were taken away, this thing your proverbial garden hose or shoes, would your sense of who I am change? Or if it were given to you finally, that house, those rims, that apartment, those shoes, you won the lottery tomorrow, if it were given to you, would your sense of identity fundamentally change? You may know the saying, you are what you eat. James is talking about the way we believe you are what you've got. And it plagues every single one of us, whether we've got a lot or we've barely got anything. You say, what's the problem? What's the big deal? Well, first of all, let's be clear. The Bible teaches that money is powerful but not evil. Possessions like shoes and rims and hoses and houses aren't bad. But they are powerful. And therefore, the Bible says, can be dangerous to our souls. They are gifts that need to be handled with caution and care. But the Bible never teaches that having those things in and of themselves is wrong Everything depends upon how you got it, how you use it, and whether you possess it or it possesses you. That's the most important thing. 
So what then is the problem if it's not simply the problem of owning these things? Well, listen to how verses 10 and 11 talk about this problem. He says, For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fail and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Those sound like jarring words, and they are. The words translated pass away and fade away, they actually don't refer to judgment elsewhere in the New Testament. That's something that a lot of scholars tend to believe that this is about, but rather it often can mean coming to an end or even to die. In other words, James is saying, you never know, you might die in the midst of the very business that makes you prominent and wealthy. He's pointing out the fleeting nature, the fragile nature of these things that we're chasing after. These things that we tend to base our whole life identities upon. These things that shape our view of ourselves. He's reminding us they don't last. So do you really want them to define who you are? Just as 1 Timothy 6 put it, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And Psalm 49 puts it, Do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. It reminds me of a conversation I had with a woman who was hanging out with a group of friends in downtown Boston a number of years ago. She sat together with us and was just talking. Seemed apparent that she didn't have a place to live and had lived on the streets for some time and didn't have much but did have a big smile. Encouraged us and seemed to have genuine faith in Christ which was both humbling and challenging and encouraging for us, a bunch of college students back then. But I'll always remember the words that she said as she looked around and looked at us and she looked at the big buildings surrounding us there in downtown Boston. She said, remember, you know, it's all coming down. It's all coming down. And she's saying what James is saying and reminding us. That you don't want to build your life on something that doesn't last. You want to build your life on something that does last. What is it? What is it? Something eternal. Something durable. Something truly worth giving your identity to. That brings us to our second thought here. That James invites us, urges us to live according to our true identity. Our true identity where he says, look, you can look at your outward circumstances and they're real. But when you want to figure out who you truly are, you have to look somewhere else. To a different place. Indeed, a different person. And so he says, if you're someone of humble circumstances today, struggling in poverty not feeling like you have a place or significance in the way society is made, perhaps unjustly, struggling to make ends meet. If you're someone of humble circumstances today, we are a community that's committed to being a family that shares and cares 
for one another's needs, for your needs. But this passage is also telling you, telling us, that your self-image, what you think of yourself, is just as important as the meeting of your physical needs, maybe even more important. Take a look at verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. In other words, dear friend in humble circumstances, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Whom do you see? Because James is talking about the brother in humble circumstances. This is language he uses when he's talking about Christians. A brother or sister in faith. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Whom do you see? Do you see someone who was a spiritual orphan, but who now has been adopted by God? Do you see someone that was brought into the family of faith and now is given the high position? of being a child of the king. What do you see? Do you see the picture of someone in yourself who has the high position of being honored by God, loved by the creator and maker of the universe, a God who has His eye upon you, who gave His Son in no small measure, but generously gave him up for you and now treats you just like he treats his natural son, Jesus, this high position. When you look in the mirror, do you see someone who is seated on God's throne because you're united to Jesus who's also seated there? That if you're in Christ, you understand that you are a son, you are a daughter of the King of Kings, the King of the universe, which means, men, you are princes. Women, you are princesses. Disney has it right and oh so wrong at the same time. Do Do you see yourself in such an exalted way? That gives you a whole different way of looking at yourself than simply looking at your outward circumstances. And if you're someone who might be described as rich, I know that can be a a relative term, well, we're committed to you too. You need to know that. Growing in community and in family, and God's intention is always that the full breadth of human experience be represented in His kingdom and in His communities. We're committed to you too because you know we all have needs. We all have needs, just different kinds. And if you're in Christ, then hear this from verse 10, that the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. So it's the same question for you too. When you look in the mirror, whom do you see? What do you see? Do you see someone who could only be saved by the mercy of God, the low position of being a sinner? Yes, a forgiven sinner, but one saved by grace alone. Do you see someone who's a member of the family of God, whose delight it is to assume the low position 
of being a peer and even a servant of every person in the church, no matter their background and no matter what kind of honor and privilege the rest of the world might actually offer you taking that low place. When you look in the mirror, do you see someone who takes the low position of living by daily repentance and humility before God and all other people? Do you see someone whose identity is being shaped by your relationship with a Savior of all power and all wealth and all status and all position who lowered himself, made himself a servant, even a slave, to save us, which is the story of the cross. The words of the hymn that we're about to sing in a few minutes, speaking of Jesus, speaking to Jesus, the Son of God, Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became poor. Thrones for a manger did surrender, sapphire paved courts for a stable floor. You who are God beyond all praising, all for love's sake became man. Stooping so low, but sinners raising heavenward by thine eternal plan. Where is your identity rooted? Does it lift you up and humble you down at the same time? What we're offered here is an identity that's grounded in something eternal, indestructible, an identity that's grounded in God. The Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's an identity that doesn't shake or shift according to outward circumstances, according to recessions, according to possessions. And that's important because some of you struggling right now might actually do better one day. And some of you doing well right now might fall on hard times one day. Circumstances change. Will your identity too? You understand how important this is as we aspire to grow as an economically diverse community, as we long to see neighbors of all backgrounds drawn in. Because if you can't see yourself right, you can't see other people right. And if you don't relate to your stuff in a healthy way, you won't be able to give or receive stuff in a healthy way either. You can say be generous all you want in Christian community, but if your identity is built on that thing, you ain't going to give up nothing. And you can say receive joyfully all you want, but if your identity was built on getting it, it's not going to be a healthy thing for you either. It is not easy or natural to think like this. It's why James finishes in verse 12 with this Promise, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. It's a trial to believe like this 
and to live like that. We are at our core materialists who define ourselves by what you got. You are what you have, we tell ourselves. The Bible gives us a different way. The Bible gives us a new identity, one grounded upon Jesus. Do you want it? Do you want more of it? More of him? Let's pray. So we come to you now, Father, asking that you would make the reality of Christ more real, more powerful, more satisfying to us. That you would transform the way we see you, the way we see ourselves, and from that, the way we see others. We long for your blessing. Please give it to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing.